Love? Truth? Beauty? I prefer negotiable securities. Coming to you live from Pierpont Drift. I'm citizen of Pierpont Drift, Ethan Maestri. And joining me at the microphone, Ryan Mazzocco. I'm still waiting on my green card. Oh, yeah, you are, aren't you? Yeah, I've applied, but cool. I haven't got it yet. Cool. Yeah, you know, Ryan and I are just hanging out here. Um, that's a nice guitar, Ryan. Thank you. It, it sounds really good. Thank you. It's just a little uh, number I heard somewhere. Yeah. Just kind of picking it out. That's it's pretty sweet. Hey, you mind if I take a look at that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Here. Here you go. Just be careful with it. It's, good. it's my favorite one. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, some good hardware there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like it all right. It's, yeah. it's one of my favorite possessions. I really I, love that guitar. I think I really like it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'm going to keep it. What? Yeah. It's mine now. <laughs> You're joking, right? No. Uh, I am a citizen here. Yeah, it's, but you can't just... I'll, I'll, we're going to pause recording. for. I'm going to take this back no. to the cabin. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. You've got to be joking. Give me, here, give me the, give it here. All right. Now that we've got that little kerfuffle uh, settled up, uh, I'm Ethan Maestri, and this is Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda Series podcast. And uh, once again, joining me at the mic, Ryan Mazzocco. You stole my guitar. Well, it's kind of legal here. I can tell you're a little miffed about it. We'll come back to it later and discuss it. Um... Let's just go straight into some fun facts. What do you say, Ryan? You stole my guitar. Okay. So this is episode 25, A Heart for Falsehood Framed. And some of the fun facts that I had uh, for this particular episode. In this episode, Becca meets Layden at the Valley Forge Gardens, is the name of the place, on Pierpont Drift. Mm-hmm. This is a location, though, that has been used in season one, and they're coming back to it here for season two. It's actually the Bloedel Floral Conservatory in Vancouver. And so this is a place where they'll come to and, and record several times. So we actually get to see this place uh, shot on location there at the Blodell Floral Conservatory. Hmm. Um, also, there's mention of Schrodinger's cat. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt like I had to bring this up. Since this is kind of, most of us here are familiar with Schrodinger's cat from Internet meme, you know, Internet jargon. And it's, it's been brought up in a lot of memes and things like that. But the reality, well, not the reality, but the the... The theory, the paradox of Schrodinger's cat is this, that a cat, a flask of poison, and, say, a radioactive, radioactive source are placed in a sealed box. Now, the flask is shattered, and this releases a poison that kills the cat. One interpretation of quantum mechanics implies that after a while, the cat is both simultaneously alive and dead. Yet when one looks in the box, one sees only one reality. The cat is either alive or dead. It, it isn't existing in that state at the same time. But you don't know until you actually look in the box and determine what state the cat is in. So that's the whole Schrodinger's cat thing. And uh, interesting that they would have used that reference as a name, as a moniker for, uh, for this uh, character that we see in this episode. Now, the character, Leighton Bryce Hawkins, is played by Anthony Lemke. And he has many TV and film roles to his credit. Um, he's also a video game. Uh, he's in a lot of video games doing voiceover work. He's been in the Assassin's Creed franchise. And uh, he also does various voices in the latest uh, game, Watch Dogs. And even has done some motion capture acting uh, for that particular game, for Watch Dogs as well. Which I thought was kind of interesting, having a little bit of an interest in, in video games myself. Two, we have the return of Peter Kalamas. For this episode, he plays Mayor Doge Miskic, um, a Chichen. And this isn't the first time we've seen him as a Chichen. We also saw him in, in season one as the, a casino thug in Fear and Loathing in the Milky Way. Your favorite episode. Okay, so he's been promoted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. He was also Grask in The Pearls That Were His Eyes, the, the Chichen trader. Okay. In that. Not traitor, but trader, mm-hmm. you know, that tried to dupe Dylan okay. there on the Andromeda. And so, yeah, Peter Kalamas returns again uh, for the third time, third and final time, I, I might add, as a Chichen uh, for this particular episode. Clarion of Loss is the Than 
bug that we see in this particular episode. And the the actress inside the suit is uh, Nicole Parker Smith is the name of the actress. And the voice for Clarion of Loss is Janice Jaw, which, as we've mentioned, she has done all the voice work for any of the fan that have had speaking parts uh, in any of the episodes throughout season one so far. And so we now get to see her come back as the voice of Clarion of Loss for this particular episode. So that's a little bit about uh, locations and some of the, uh, the actors and actresses in this particular episode. Why don't we move on from fun facts on into this episode? Ryan, mm -hmm. why don't you tell us about A Heart for Falsewood Framed? The Andromeda has come to Pierpont Drift to negotiate peace between Doge Miskish and the Than Homogeny. Rami isn't sure about bringing Miskich, the notorious crime boss, aboard the Andromeda, but Dylan feels the high risk is worth the high reward of having the Than owe him one. The dispute lies in an ancient Than gemstone relic missing from the Than for five generations, which Miskich now possesses in his museum on the Pierpont Drift. Harper and Becca make themselves at home on the Drift, and almost immediately a thief snatches and takes off with Becca's ID card. The two split up and give chase, but Becca is foiled by a young, handsome, and charismatic cop. Well, more like mall security, but anyway. Officer Layden Bryce Hawkins informs Becca and Harper that while it is legal on Pierpont Drift for a citizen to steal from them, it's not legal for non-citizens to steal their stuff back. Then he brings up the Parsec long rap sheet on Becca and all of her friends. Interestingly, Dylan is the only one without a record, but he's going to keep his eye on him, too. Than General Clarion of Loss and Doge Miskich meet aboard the Andromeda to begin negotiations, which immediately escalate to shouting and name-calling in a fashion similar to Ethan and Ryan's pre-production meetings. Dylan has but seven days to make peace between these two before the ceasefire ends. On the Maru, Becca and Trance await the unveiling of Harper's latest creation, a perfect copy of the Hegemon's heart, which they plan to swap out for the real one. But they find security to be pretty tight when they go down to case the joint. Becca distracts the cameras by using them to ask Hawkins out on a date, while Trance hides inside a sort of sarcophagus. Becca meets her new guy friend in the lawn and garden section of the drift, where she calls him out for being the infamous Schrodinger's cat, the alias of a notorious thief. Hawkins says he quit all that because it just didn't thrill him anymore, and that's why he decided to work security for Miskich. He warns her not to try to steal from Miskich, as the penalty will be death. Hawkins kisses Becca and strokes her cheek, not noticing the nicorette patch that he put his fingers all over. Afterward, Harper calls up to Becca and says... He can break the security in the museum if he has Hawkins' fingerprints and DNA. Wow, what luck. Becca just got both of those things. Hey, remember that guy that took Becca's ID card at the beginning? Well, now Tear is sweating him down about how to find rare stuff and information on the drift. Later, the petty thief meets back up with Tear with the information that he requested, but it's going to cost more than the agreed-upon price. Tyr agrees not to kill him, to which he agrees is fair. Back in the museum, the heist is on as Harper disables the security, all except the floor sensors. Trance scales the exhibits, walls, and ceilings, and lowers herself from the ceiling by her tail and makes the swap. Back on the Andromeda, negotiations are not going well. It turns out that Miskich is six months late paying his dues to the Free Trade Alliance. He was counting on their firepower to protect him from the Than. Without their support, he is helpless, and Clarion of Loss demands the heart to be returned in 24 hours. Back on the Maru, Becca, Trance, and Harper celebrate their heist. Enter Dylan. This should be awkward. Oh, except that Becca hands it right over to Dylan. He's definitely in on the whole thing. Good news! And now for the bad news. Miss Kitch will be forced to return it to the Than, and he can't return a fake, so they have to return it. Alone with the heart on the Maru, Becca shoots her laser pointer at it, which doesn't do much other than make random scattered red light. She seems disappointed. It's a fake, as she informs the others. They need to find the real one, and Becca suspects Hawkins. 
Jill installs the negotiations with details and technicalities. Becca has another date with Hawkins. They go back to Hawkins' place to make out a little and then take a nap, I guess. While Hawkins is sleeping, Becca sneaks away and starts snooping around and finds a void in the wall and pries it open to find, not the heart, but a flexi. Hawkins catches her and tells her to watch the flexi. It's a video of Trance stealing the heart. Becca informs Hawkins that the heart they stole was a fake. Hawkins reminds Becca that the penalty for theft is death, and then destroys the flexi. The petty thief now takes Tyr to his source. It's Hawkins. Tyr wants to buy the real heart for himself. Hawkins wants 50 million guilders. Tyr would rather just choke him and take it by force. This gets the attention of three inept security guards. The first, Tyr pops on the head and renders unconscious. It's good to see he's using non-lethal methods to immobilize the guards. Next, Tyr swings from the ceiling and swiftly snaps a guard's neck. He may have died. And then threw a barrel at the other one. Tyr gets away, but so does Hawkins. Hawkins goes to retrieve the real heart, which he had hidden in the garden in a Venus rat trap. But Becca is waiting for him. As she holds him at gunpoint, he offers an explanation. He stole the heart the day he became a citizen and became head of security. Now he's just been waiting for some sucker to pin it on. But now he suggests they get married. She'll become a citizen. They can sell the heart and share everything. Becca tells him to meet her on the Maru in an hour. By now, a fan fleet is on its way and will be ready to destroy the drift as soon as the ceasefire is over. Hawkins comes to the Maru. Enter Tyr, who grabs Hawkins to take him to Dylan, but not before Becca can switch the real heart with a fake. She puts the laser pointer on the heart, which reveals what she indicates to be a treasure map. After saving the image, she takes the real heart and meets with the others. Tyr gives Dylan the heart he took from Hawkins, the fake. Hawkins says that Becca stole the real heart. Enter Becca, who plants one on Dylan, while she again swaps out the real for the fake. Dylan returns the heart to Clarion of Loss, who verifies that it is in fact the real heart. Afterwards, Becca accuses Hawkins of giving her up. She says that she would have covered for him. He doesn't understand why she would, because as he says, she won the game. Later, Rami admits to Dylan that she was wrong about Becca. She didn't think she could be trusted with this assignment. Dylan says he wasn't sure either, but he had to take the risk, and everything worked out. The end. Well done, Ryan. Well done. Thank you. I I I, I give pause though. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of a problem with your summary. Okay. Maybe the guard, the second guard, didn't die immediately. Okay. There's a chance he may have stayed alive a little bit after his neck broke. I mean, remember what happened to Kaylee in yeah. Rose in the Ashes? I guess it is possible. It's a possibility. Yeah. It might not have been lethal mm-hmm. right then, right at that moment, right. <laughs> but it sure kind of looked like he might have. <laughs> Might not be a citizen of Pierpont Drift any longer. No, no, I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, again, very good there. Uh, lots of things, lots of observations in this one that I had. Yeah. I don't know about you. I had quite a few. Uh, I'm just going to start from the beginning. Rami, uh, ver- she's choosy about who she'll negotiate peace with. She's not choosy about who she'll let die <laughs> or let be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, a couple of times in that first uh, season, you know, she was the one that was actually saying, you know, you know, we need to negotiate here. We need to put our best foot forward. But here they're in a situation where Dylan could, you know, really, you know, save these people from the fire. And Rami's just like, let them, let them fight. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was kind of an interesting kind of turn. Mm-hmm. She's deferring to Dylan, you know, to, for the negotiations. She wants no part in it, though. Yeah. She's, yeah, let's just, let's stand back and watch the fireworks. Yeah. Well, I think she understands that the only ones that are really at risk are those on the Pierpont Drift. Yeah. And uh, and we know how she feels about, you know, mm-hmm. it's a den of thieves. Right, exactly. <laughs> they still have time to, uh, to, to make a deal with the Than. Yeah, that is true. Um, I do know one thing that I want to see. Okay. After watching this episode, mm-hmm. I want to see Trance compete on American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> yeah. I think she might have a slight advantage with the tail. Well, all more reason to compete. Well, yeah. 
But but you know, human versus uh, wait. How what class was she? I mean, how did Ah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it would be interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Pretty much give her the trophy. <laughs> she is the next American <laughs> ninja warrior. <laughs> oh man. Uh so how does a society of people organize itself? How is there any order, law and order, if theft is legal for its citizens? I mean, it just... I, I, I actually spent more time thinking about that concept as I'm watching the episode than actually looking at details of the episode. <laughs> because it just... I, it would be mayhem. Yeah. It would be chaos. It, it just seems like, uh, which I understand, uh, Doge, Me, uh, Mejong, Mahjong, <laughs> Miskich. <laughs> right. Not Nishka. Not Nishka. Mm-hmm. Not Nishka. Uh, I understand. He's, he's a crook, you know, and basically everyone on there is a crook. And so I guess it's honor among thieves. Is that is that the ruling principle? Maybe they don't steal from each other. They just steal from the visitors. Yeah, but the the... The guy, you know, he's stealing from the kiosks that are in the uh, the public square there. So, it, well, if that's going on all the time. It's maybe like, those are non-resident aliens that are running those kiosks. Okay. But if I'm a non-resident alien, mm-hmm. I'm not setting up a kiosk on that. Because it's like, uh, everything's a dollar. You got to go. No. <laughs> you got to go where the work is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to run it. You you're going to be out of work really quick. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that you put this in observations instead of uh, later discussion. Oh, uh, do we need to come back to it? Well, I that's the thing is that I'm not sure you can make a discussion out of this because it's just I think it's just an observation that would not work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And mm-hmm. that and that kind of is my point. That's, <laughs> you're right. And that is kind of why it's not in conversation uh, discussion points because it's just ridiculous. It really, to me, it just it comes across as being ridiculous. Um, mayhem would ensue. Next thing you know, the environmental systems would be out because people were stealing machinery and mm-hmm. hawking it right. the, for for the drift next door. You know, the next drift over. Right. <laughs> uh, it would just things would devolve terribly fast. Just judging by how 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 badly things in society go here on this planet, <laughs> we're <laughs> Stealing is illegal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh, not everybody subscribes to that. So I have a question about Harper. Okay. Uh, It's well established. Harper is a super genius. Okay. Right? He can do miraculous things on the Andromeda and fix anything. He created this virtually identical replica of, of the heart, right? He can do all of these things. It appears... Except count backwards from twenty. Really, you're talking about in the in the heist scene, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, he cuts the field and then he counts backwards from twenty. Seems to me like he was having a hard time with it. it I'll, I'll grant you, having examined it, it it's with you. It, it, it does appear that way in seg in sections. I would venture to say though that it, it is kind of. He's looking at what she's doing, and I think he's nervous about that. Because as they indicated before, she failed Mm -hmm. in practice runs. Right. And now she's doing it for real. He knows the clock is ticking. She's she's fidgeting with that stuff out there. And and yeah, there's there's a lot riding on it. Well, he just didn't seem real sure about 14. Well, he he missed he missed between 11 and nine. He missed the 10 in there. Skipped. uh, Took a real long time on seven. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I really like the exchange between Harper, Trance and Becca when they're on the Maru. And Harper's, you know, going about demonstrating his superior genius and whatnot and, mm-hmm. and creating the the heart mm-hmm. or the fake heart. Right. So it, it quickly turns to trance, though, in it becomes glaring. What are you? How old are you? <laughs> mm-hmm. Young? Old? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> what's going on here? And then they try to throw it toward Becca and Becca's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Let's not make this about me. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Much like Trance's age you know, and origin. You know? Right. I thought that was pretty cool. But it was good to see uh, some more good use of Trance's tail. 
Yes. Because for through the whole first season and so far this season, we've always known that the tail was there. It doesn't really do much. Uh, other than just kind of hang there and, and, I don't know, get in the way. Get stepped on at times. Yeah, exactly. Um, we know that uh, she can hit people with it. And we know that she can hang from it. She can choke people. Didn't she choke somebody when she was rescuing Dylan? On uh... Uh, she, she threatened. Okay. I don't think she actually choked anyone. Okay. But she did. Yeah, she threatened with it. Okay. Um, but anyway, it's good to see that uh, the, the writers are really giving Trance's tail some stuff. <laughs> And uh, I look forward. Vestigial. Yeah, I look forward to seeing what else they're going to do with Trance's tail. Okay, because I, I really like that. You know, who 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 couldn't use an extra appendage? There you go. Seriously, you know. Um, so, so what you're saying is, is we might look forward to seeing it become almost its own character in this second season. You know what? I I'm hoping so. That would be cool. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's we'll keep our eye on that. Okay. So seriously, the uh, the museum mm-hmm. where they're stealing the the hegemon's heart. Mm-hmm. Um. Are they actually displaying hanged criminals within the museum? Those that have tried to steal from that museum is th- is that? Did I read that correctly? I mean, maybe it's just the wax museum portion. Oh, it looked like it was kind of real. Really? I mean, do any Perseids look real? <laughs> Point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Point for Mazako on that one. No, but I mean, as real as a Perseid can look. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Harper Harper's reaction to it is his reaction is um I forget exactly what he says now something about it just, being lethal. Oh, okay. It's not illegal, it's lethal. Okay. I think is what he what he makes mention of. I thought you meant, you know, just hanging around feeling blue. <laughs> that was funny. Like I I did kind of chuckle at that. <laughs> but then the security guy comes over and is looking at him like this is serious stuff. Don't be making jokes about it. Really is that what I took that a totally different way. Really? Yeah. Okay. How'd you take it? He's a Perseid. Yeah. And he makes the... The blue joke. Yeah. yeah. The feeling blue. <clears throat> what do you mean blue? So Okay. <laughs> that's that's how I took it. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I guess I could kind of see it that way, too. Yeah. I just thought, is that supposed to be a real person? If it is, that's rather grotesque. Oh, yeah. But I then think that's again, the point. Okay. Yeah. But then this is a den of thieves, basically. Mm-hmm. So anything goes. Yeah. You can steal legally. So right. why not display dead corpses that right. have tried to steal from you? Mm-hmm. Okay. And we learned something else about Perseids. Apparently, they keep well. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> hey, I have a question about the fan. You kind of touched on it a little bit in your, uh, in your uh, fun facts that we have only had one voice. For all of the fan that we have seen with speaking parts. Are are we to assume that all fan sound feminine? Are are there any are there any men fan? I, th- I think that the fan vocalizer mm-hmm. is made by a state owned company. Okay. So they're all using the same vocalizer. Okay. So they're gonna all sound the same when they're being translated. Okay. But if you pay close attention I think the cracks, cackles, and hisses that they make in their native language, mm-hmm. I think you might be able to identify some audio differences. Okay. Well, I'm just, I'm just going to speculate. I'll have to put that on my uh, audio spectrum analyzer. There you go. But you know what? Here's what I'm thinking. Um, I have nothing to base this on other than science, which is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> because science. Um. The fan are are compared to a, uh, a like an insect hive is really what they're. I don't know if that's their analog or what, but you know that's kind of what we're what we're given at yeah. this point. Yeah. Um. Let's let's take for example a hive of bees. All the worker bees are female. Yeah. They have the drone bees. Um, work security, some of the males that uh, help make eggs with the queen, mm-hmm. who is also female. Yeah. But by and large, the vast majority of the hive is female. Yeah. So I wonder if the vast majority of fan are, in fact, female. It, it certainly appears that that's what is being portrayed. Mm-hmm. Every fan we have seen so far has been f- at least feminine mm-hmm. in 
form. I, 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 yeah, yeah, it sounds yeah. feminine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. I see your point. Yeah, we haven't had any masculine sounding fan, right? Or any you know bulky looking. Or and there's like nothing that. to say that these are not actually male fan, but with the voice that they are given, I mean, don't you just automatically assume female? Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. But there again, is that. Is that somehow a construct of an actual voice? Is are they portraying themselves as feminine, or is that just what the vocalizer is doing? And they they don't they they're just wanting something that sounds appealing to a humanoid, right? Well, that's the thing. They are playing to a human audience, yeah. Whether on the Andromeda or and, us, the viewers, and science, as you have, mm-hmm. if we're going to base this on science, science has proven that a female voice often has more of an impact, particularly with males in negotiation and things like that, than a male voice does. So maybe they've maybe that's by choice that they have chosen a feminine voice. Or because even that doesn't necessarily maybe that doesn't necessarily reflect on what their gender is specifically. Uh I didn't catch the planet I didn't, and I didn't look at the transcript to see what the planet was. But it was nice to see that even though Brent State couldn't be on this episode, probably because of reaction to the suit uh they did at least give him a mention that yeah so becca walks into a room reading a flexi and it's it's about rev it's from rev apparently a message uh he's converting heathens by the truckload on and then i didn't catch what the planet name was but it was nice of him to at least mention what rev was doing and why he was off camera right and in our discussion i do want to come back to rev okay a little bit later okay So, so put a pin in that all right we'll put a pin in it uh, a couple other things that I had to just before we move on in our discussion. I honestly thought that Tyr took a flying leap off of a ledge. You know, when he took he <laughs> yes. did the Superman. Yes, he, he did. did the Superman, yeah. and I thought, man, he just took a, a header off mm-hmm. the ledge. That was pretty impressive. Right? No, he just disappeared. He rolled behind the barrels, <laughs> and then went black ops on you know Metal Gear Solid on uh, the uh, security team that came in after him. And I mean, honestly, the third guy. There's no excuse. <laughs> you came around the corner. He saw you, had time to turn around and grab the barrel, and the guy was just getting his gun up as the barrel's flying at him. Yeah. <laughs> These hired guards. There's got to be a better caliber out there. Uh, well, you know, I think the problem might be in their training. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they're, if everyone is, is legal to steal, then I guess maybe they let their guard down just a little bit. And then uh, finally, the thing that I wanted to bring up, Miskich says about the FDA, no one double crosses me. Really, dude, you didn't pay your dues for six months. <laughs> You're going to get upset when they don't back you up <laughs> in, a, in a fight. I thought that was kind of a ridiculous line. Uh, yeah, he's mad, but uh, there's a pretty valid reason why it's not happening. Mm-hmm. I don't think he should view it as a double cross, honestly. Right. I mean, that's like if I don't pay insurance for six months and I get in an accident and the insurance company doesn't back me up, who am I going to be mad at? Mm -hmm. I'm kind of going to be mad at myself, I think, before I get mad at the insurance company. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, when I don't pay my cable bill and my internet gets shut off, oh, man, I call down to the cable office and I I just rip them. (laughs) Well, I guess it's different. How could they do that to me? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all I had for for uh, for observations, and you as well. So let's go ahead and move on to the next point. What did we learn about uh, the world, the environment, or our characters in this episode? You know, one of the ones that uh, stuck out the most to me was it's not something that we don't know, not something that we haven't had hints of, uh, uh, hints of already, but they, they really put a finer point on this about trance. And her past, what her history is with Becca, uh, maybe even before Becca. She's got a rap sheet. Yeah. A long rap sheet with a lot of larceny. Theft, theft, theft. Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, it's not like we didn't know this at all about her. Um, She's always spun it in the light of, you know, she does it for good reasons. Evidently, there's a lot of good reasons to steal. (laughs) Yeah, it seems so. Yeah, and she seemed at home doing it too. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because when we first are getting to know her, she seems timid. Yeah, she seems like she's out of out of her element. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, in this situation, she looks at it and it isn't the cute little yeehaw. It's the yeehaw. I'm about to get, I'm, I'm getting with it. Mm-hmm. I, I know what I'm doing here. And yeah, I failed before. I didn't really fail. I just, I kind of put the, put on the show for Harper. I mean, that's how I kind of took that mm-hmm. because she pulls off the, the heist without a hitch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she knows what she's doing. All right. So one, another of our characters, Becca. Mm-hmm. We learned a lot of things about Becca in this episode, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. W- what we did get is she's afraid of heights. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I don't know why, but it, I find that to be interesting. Uh, and maybe that's a little bit of the reason why she has a problem with planets. Because she has a little back and forth with Harper again yeah. about her disdain. Right. Not the first time we've heard this. Too. Right. Yeah. Right. So afraid of heights. Uh, Becca and Tear. Again with that, their little exchange in the Arboretum, in the, what was it, the Valley Forge Gardens, whatever that was. Uh, yeah, it, did it seem like Tyr was kind of, not making a pass, but that, kind of that playful banter with her? Did it almost seem like he was a little jealous of that yeah, situation? Yeah, I was going to say, almost like a, a passive-aggressive jealousy. Yeah, pa- there you go, passive-aggressive. Mm-hmm. That's the sense that I took away from it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so here again, we're kind of making that play at a little bit of, of, of attraction or tension between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And then this Hayward Bryce or, or whatever his name was, uh, is really the foil for kind of bringing that out in Tyr just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like Tyr was just kind of operating with a little bit of a chip on his on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's in part because of the conversation that he had with Dylan in this, the last episode where Dylan's kind of called him out on his yeah. extracurricular activities. But uh, it just certainly seemed like Tyr was, you know, a l- little more edgy, mm-hmm. uh, especially with regard to Becca and her relationship with the mall cop. Right. And then, and then too, right there at the end, we get Becca and Dylan again. Mm-hmm. Again with that. I mean, it was kind of staged so that she could get the st- the real stone back to him. Yeah. And he seems to be getting used to it. He, yeah, but it, he still was, looks so uncomfortable. It, it was awkward, but he didn't freak out. <laughs> he didn't drop both stones. Yeah. Oh, how bad would that have been? <laughs> <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> uh huh. But uh, okay, so yeah, it was staged. Well, I didn't know you were going to kiss me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but here again, we're kind of faced with that awkwardness between the two of them. They work well together. But, uh, again... As long as they don't have to kiss. As long as they don't have to kiss. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. You know, you mentioned already that uh, Rev Bim was absent from this episode, and, of course, we we got reason for it this time. Um, but there still was some certain implications about Rev Bim that, that I caught, and it kind of makes me wonder about Rev Bim, because we kind of feel like we know who Rev Bim is, right? I mean, he's he was a, he was a Magog... Um, that very early in his life, almost immediately, was converted to Wayism, and he's been living the way, uh, following the divine his entire life. He had that one little hiccup there at the world ship where he killed lots and lots of Magog. But other than that, other than mass bloodshed in one episode, <laughs> isolated. Incident. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> who hasn't been there, right? Okay, everyone well, makes a mistake. Let's, let's let's not call the guy a serial killer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but, you know, really, other than that, we really have no indication that Rev Bim has ever been involved in anything, any any type of wrongdoing before. Do we? No, you're right. And it does seem like he's actively avoided getting himself involved in right. just outright larceny or theft situations. Right. And, you know, that's what's interesting to me is that when Hawkins is uh, bringing up the entire crew's information... He says, "I've got it all on every one of every one of you, your whole crew." Yeah, except for Dylan. And Dylan's the only one that's clean. Did he mention Rev Bim? No. So he doesn't have all the information. Well, I mean, he just, he didn't mention every single crew member by name, did he? No, I don't. I don't know that he did. I remember he he brought up Trance, um, Tear, Becca, Harper, Harper. That's it. And Dylan, Dylan had a clean. Dylan had a clean record. Okay, Rev's not there, and he doesn't have a record on Rev. 
Yeah. So, uh, so he's just not in this episode. So they just decided to not mention him in this roll call. Uh, you know, I mean, but even if he doesn't specifically mention him by name and bring up his picture, maybe if they did, if he did bring up the picture on his little the little watch there, maybe they would have had to give Brent State some sort of credit maybe for this so. episode maybe just so. for having his image in it. So maybe they skipped it. But the thing is, it's to me, there's still the implication because he says everyone, your entire crew is dirty. Except Dylan Hunt. So you're going on the assumption that Rev was in that roll call. Why that wouldn't he's got he the, be? He, that he's got his file. Yeah, I mean, he's been with Becca's crew for who knows how long. He's yeah. been on the Andromeda yeah, crew for the last year plus. Every every Everywhere that the Andromeda goes, Rev Bim goes. Yeah. Except a couple times that he's missing. Right. Okay. All right, so, so let's take that. So yeah, okay, so Rev does have a record. It seems. I mean, is it? Is he, it just? At the very least, he's an accomplice. That's what I was going to say. Is yeah. he guilty by association? Yeah. They know that the Maru came in, smuggled some stuff out. Who all was on that ship? Well, this guy, this guy, and uh, a Magog. I I just wonder how how that's affecting his how that has that reputation of guilty by association mm-hmm. might be affecting his ministry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Well, apparently not too bad because too bad. he's converting by the truckload. By the truckload, yeah. Okay. So I guess it's something he can live with. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of take a step back and look at this kind of broad spectrum. Mm-hmm. All of the, the crew, and kind of come around the room with me here, mm-hmm. and let's let's touch on all of these. Uh, Tyr is working for Dylan until he gets to the bad guys, and then he tells the bad guys that he's not working for Dylan. He's... He's in it for himself. Mm-hmm. Becca is working for Dylan, but it's obvious from what we learned at the end of the episode that she's got her own agenda mm-hmm. that she's trying to carry out at the same time. The uh, treasure map. Right. Okay. As she called it. Yeah. Okay. So, so we've got these things going on between these two characters. The thing that I take away from this episode is trust is relative. Is that where we're at with the crew? Because I thought when we kind of came out of this whole Magog situation, Tyr was kind of the the unknown mm-hmm. variable. Right. But he, he's committed right. to doing all that he needs to to help Dylan to defeat the world ship. It, it seems like taking the, the, the hegemon heart is going to be counterproductive in that regard. Is he really going to take it? Or do you think he's just playing, playing those that, that, that he's he's trying to get to, to do his bidding? I think, I think Tyr is just doing what Tyr does, and he is, he's take it all the way back to Double Helix from the first season. He's playing every single available option. If that means sticking with Dylan, cool. If that means double crossing Dylan and getting whatever he wants. Cool. Okay. Okay. That, that's just how, how Tyr is. Okay. All right. Okay. That one was kind of the gray area. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. Uh, Becca, though. Mm-hmm. Becca seems to know a lot of things and, and is using her position with Dylan to get at those things. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw it last season with Tarn Vedra. Right. And she had a, an ulterior motive for going to Tarn Vedra. Mm-hmm. She almost seems to be like the Three Galaxies Indiana Jones. <laughs> because now we have the the Hegemon Heart, and, and and apparently she's the only one that knows about this treasure map that's that's buried in it, that, that she can project, and, and she's the only one that knows about it. Mm-hmm. And so she has to stage this whole double cross. Well, I don't know if you can call it a double cross. She wants to get Dylan the Heart so that... Everything turns out all right in the end, but she wants to have that treasure map for herself mm-hmm. for her own reasons. So it still comes down to a matter of trust, and she almost jeopardized the mission that that Dylan had set them on, so that she could get this ulterior thing, this treasure map that she wants. And I guess the two things that I want to know is: is this going to blow up in her face? And are, are we going to see something about this treasure map going forward? Because I really don't know. 
I haven't seen anything on and the, the few episodes that I've seen beyond this. Mm-hmm. I don't, we don't revisit this treasure map. Mm-hmm. So is this something we're going to have to remember? Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. <sighs> yeah, you're right, though. She does seem to know a lot uh, that is hidden. Um, legends, stories, she seems to, to know about them um, and then find ways to get to them. And they always seem to somehow involve Dylan's mission. It, she doesn't really seem to lead Dylan to these things. Um, a lot of times they're just things that Dylan is already doing and she's an opportunist. You know, she sees, oh, we're going to that place with the heart. I got to get my hands on it. Mm-hmm. And when she gets that assignment, oh, absolutely. I'm there because she gets it. And then she's able to do this thing that she wants to do with it and then pass it on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the same with, uh, finding Tarn Vedra. That was, that, that plays right into... Uh, Dylan. I mean, of course, it's his home world. It's also the center and the capital of the old Commonwealth. Yeah. How valuable is that to Dylan? So, you know, while while Tyr may be a little bit more devious, I think Becca seems to be a little bit more of an opportunist. Yeah. Um, although the thing with Tarn Vedra was a little bit more deceiving than this one is. Okay. All right. I see that. Uh, and then I guess I want to talk about the, the mall cop, Hawkins, mm-hmm. briefly. Um, Harper says that the reason why Becca can't trust him and that she's attracted to him is because he reminds her of herself. Mm-hmm. And, and I I see that as an analogy, and, and I believe it. Because he's doing the same thing that Becca's kind of doing. It's just... Becca is kind of talked herself into she's doing it for the right reason. He is still a, a thief. Mm-hmm. He he was a thief the day after he got his citizenship because mm-hmm. he stole the heart. The day he of. The day of. You're mm-hmm. right. You're right. And, and and he was just waiting around for a scapegoat. But and and then here's the question I have: Did he really fall in love with Becca? Do Do you think that was a real uh, invitation that he was giving her to join him and to benefit from having that heart? Well, I don't know if it was as much um, marrying for love as much as it was just a, an alliance. Okay. Well, you don't have to marry a person to have an alliance with them. I guess they do in this case because it meant citizenship. Right. And that's, okay. that was that was the whole point. Okay. Okay. But do you think Becca really th- thinks – I mean, there at the end we see kind of – did she have tears in her eyes? It kind of looked like she had tears in her eyes. Yeah, she was she was misty, maybe a little bit yeah. misty eyed. Um, was it really something that you think she would have been tempted to 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 do? Well, hold on, Let, let's take a step back from okay. that. There is one other thing I wanted to mention. Hawkins gives up Becca it, because he says, as he says, it was his only move left. Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, it, it just seemed kind yeah. of like a boneheaded move for him to make. It's like he had his back against the wall. If he had just and I guess that's the point. Becca said, have faith. Regardless of what happens, have faith in me, mm-hmm. and, and we'll get through this. And he didn't. He mm-hmm. bailed on her. Maybe, I guess, guess that, I guess that was the point. That's why she had the tears in her eyes, because he, he did double-cross her. And I guess maybe she did have a little bit of feelings for him. And there at the end, she says, uh, uh, maybe we'll get to play again. Mm-hmm. And he says, we'll see. He, he'd already kind of dismissed her. So I guess she was kind of hurt by all of this. Yeah, I, there can be there can be emotion, and there can be real feelings. Whether these feelings are um, true love and willing to make that commitment of marriage, I don't see that. I have a real hard time buying that. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it it just everything was way too quick. Their relationship is way too superficial. Mm. I mean, I think it was more that all to me makes it seem like it was really just a proposal of convenience of, of convenience, marriage yeah. of convenience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that doesn't mean that they didn't have feelings for right, each other, right? But I mean, you don't you don't meet somebody and then the next day you genuinely want to marry that person. Oh, contraire. Well. <laughs> 
You may you may think that you feel like you do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that kind of talking through that kind of clears up a little bit of what we learned about Becca specifically and what she was kind of dealing with throughout this situation. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a tough spot for her. She was kind of having to be underhanded, but at the same time, she wanted Dylan's mission to be a success. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there's a possibility of a real friendship there with somebody that she obviously kind of had an, I don't know, kind of a, she kind of admired him. Yeah. There's a connection. Yeah. So it, it was interesting, I thought, to see Becca go through this progression throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. So are we to understand that the Free Trade Alliance is somehow militant? I I think I thought we already established that. Well, I thought that they were powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, they've definitely got money, and money is power. Yeah. They can control. But in the episode where Gabriel showed up. Right. Didn't. That wasn't that admiral? Wasn't that an admiral of the Free Trade Alliance and her crew? I think it was. So yeah, there is a militant aspect to the Free Trade Alliance. Okay, all right. Well, I mean, I guess I don't. Maybe I missed that. I, I was just thinking that they were powerful, but not necessarily. Well, I mean, we think about it; they have to be able to protect. Their interests. Yeah. And that requires a little bit of muscle to be able to do that. Well, I figured that would just be contracted. Okay. And Okay. I, so so yeah. you have so you have mercenaries come in and defend this uh Pierpont station. Uh, the mm-hmm. the guys paying you for protection, uh whether you have a fleet yourself or you hire a fleet to come in, there's still a military aspect to it. Yeah. That seems like a lot. To buy, though. I mean, to, to try to defend a drift against a, the Than Homogeny fleet. I mean, they're coming at them. Yeah. So, you know, I, the FTA, I, I'm, I'm, what, what I'm getting at is they must be just extremely powerful. They must be. Uh, obviously, they didn't bring very much firepower to uh, the balance of judgment mm-hmm. <laughs> when that whole situation went down. And I think it's interesting, too. We've seen the, the Than fleet now. Well, maybe not the same fleet, but the Than obviously have a very strong military presence. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I guess, besides the Nietzscheans, the Than are kind of uh, they're a big deal mm-hmm. within this universe because obviously they have a very powerful military. Mm-hmm. I guess to counter that, you have to have the Free Trade Alliance somewhere out there, and it stands to reason that considering how strong the Nietzscheans are and how strong the Than are. Then if you're going to have a free trade alliance to protect their own interest in in commerce, Mm -hmm. it's going to have to be pretty substantial. All right. I'll buy that. Um, I do have – I have one last question about Hawkins. He says that he came in his very first day of citizenship. The first thing he did was goes in there and he steals the heart. So he had to replace it with a fake. What I want to know is how did he do it without a tail? Oh, that's a good question. Well, we know that he's good. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously, he can set cameras up that even Harper didn't know about. Right. Yeah. So. Where did he get the replacement? Yeah, because Harper was very proud of his fake. Mm-hmm. Which that brings up the whole thing about Rami saying, I let Harper think <laughs> it was a excellent replica that he, she couldn't tell the difference. But she could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, yeah, so how much money did he have to pay? Because mm-hmm. he doesn't strike me as being smart enough to be able to make it himself. Right. Yeah, so somebody out there had to have known about this, right? I would think so. Okay. It would take a lot of money to keep that person quiet, too. Yeah, or maybe there's a body trail up there somewhere. <laughs> maybe it was the guy hanging in the museum. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> hey, yeah, it was all a setup. A yeah. It was a setup. And he just passed him off. Look who This guy tried to steal the, the hegemon heart. Man. Right. It's in, his, it's in his back pocket the whole time. Right. That's what he did. He sent him in there, said just everything's off. Just go walk just in go. there, <laughs> switch him out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got a, the whole thing's figured out. Right. So, yeah, he comes over there. He hands him the real heart. He takes off. Mall cops show up. Who's the only one standing there? <laughs> The Than. The blue guy. Right. The, not the Than, the uh or the, the Perseid. The the Perseid. Yeah. Right, yeah. Did I say Than the you first said time Than too? The first I mean, time, yeah. I mean when I first started talking about this, so did I, I don't I think Than? so. Okay. Well, I just I, now caught it, so right. The dead Perseid in the museum. That's yeah. who we're talking about. Yeah. 
All right, Ethan. So at the beginning of this show, we had a we had a quote. Mm-hmm. I'd like to discuss that with you right now. Okay, if you don't mind. Love, truth, beauty. I prefer negotiable securities. Um, before I let you loose on this, I, I do want to say it's very interesting because usually we get all these just random quotes from random people. From random times. Historical context, typically. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're supposed to try to figure out a way to fit this quote into this episode. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like we nail it. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like we're grabbing at straws and just making stuff up as we go. Uh, this is a little different this time because this is credited to someone who actually appears in this episode. Yeah. This is Miskitch. Apparently, a book or a writing of his called "All About Me," <laughs> which is so narcissistic. Right, it's great. I love it. Uh, this was uh, published in three hundred one AFC. So this is it's contemporary. Yeah, this is very recent. Yeah, within the last uh, what year? With, within the last year of, of Dylan coming out of uh, the black hole. Well, I was going to say I thought it was. 303. Oh, 303 when it came out. You're right. You're right. So two years. I don't know that I'm right. You are right. Okay. No, you're right. Okay. So this has been, this is a couple of years before uh, Dylan actually comes out of the black hole. Okay. So anyway, yeah. Love, truth, beauty. I prefer negotiable securities. Yeah. Ethan, go. Well, I just, you you bring it up that it's it's current. It's Mm -hmm. contemporary. And I think it's great because we're seeing a a quote from a guy that's at, at the top. Mm-hmm. He's he is at the top of his game. He is the leader of Pierpont Drift. Uh, he gets to do basically anything he wants, and he's he's very conceited, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that all crashes around him in this episode, and we get to watch that happen. So, seeing this quote, a guy at the top of at the pinnacle mm-hmm. of his criminal career, <laughs> yeah, because you know the guy's not clean, but uh, he's very under, underhanded. Uh, so we get to watch that happen, which I think is interesting. But the saying itself, it, it's it's kind of what I was alluding to before in, when we're talking about loyalties between Tyr and Becca and Dylan and, and the crew. Everything's relative. Right. And that's what this guy is, is pointing out is, is beauty. What was the other, the other things mentioned there? Love, truth, and beauty. Yeah. So love, truth, and beauty. All of these things are, are relative. And for him, he doesn't hold as much value in those things as he does cold, hard cash. Right. <laughs> or or a, a stone that the fan want from him, mm-hmm. you know. Those are things that he can he can use to bend others to his will. That's what's valuable to him. Mm-hmm. It is pretty shallow, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. I also wonder though, just how accurate is it? Um, because like you like you said, cold hard cash things, material possessions. Mm-hmm. These are things that you can. These are negotiable. These are things that you can work with. Yeah. Whereas love, truth, and beauty, uh, according to Miskich, are non-negotiable. These are not the same kinds of commodities as cash or material things. I think that this episode proves that wrong. Um, I kind of think that things like that love... uh, Truth, be- well, you mentioned loyalty, mm-hmm. and I think that kind of fits in, into the same types of qualities, same types of virtues that as, he's talking about here. Yeah, yeah, and and it seems to me that in this episode alone, as well as throughout the rest of Andromeda, things like these qualities, um, they can be used as commodities. Yeah, and we see that there's that 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 interplay between Becca and Hawkins. I really see them using a lot of trust and love as a commodity. Yes. Something that they are willing to negotiate in order to get what they want. Yeah, okay. So So basically from your point of view, you're seeing that you're saying that Miskitch in making this quote, he he's missing out on a lot. Yeah. 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 There's this whole other world of commodity that he's missing out on. A whole different economy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that he's not yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. You're I mean, right. It, it seems to be everything about him is just about the money and the power and the force. Yes. He doesn't play people. Yes. But there, I, I kind of have a problem 
Because at that point, when you start looking at things like that, like loyalty and love and beauty as commodities, as an, an, an economy to be used, or that takes you off into a – that's a whole different realm. Hey, I'm not saying it's right. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying it's what they're doing. You're right. You're No, you're absolutely yeah. right. But there's folly in that. Right. You – you give up a lot as a human being. Well, these are, flawed, these are flawed characters, though. You're right. You're right. And Miskish is a, a enormously flawed character. Yes. So, I mean, this is just another one of those things. He could be using... How is it that he's dealing with the fan? But see, that's the... Th- he's, he's buying his protection. Yes. He's using his money. He's yes. using his material asset to buy power to protect him from the fan. What if he was using these other... As he says, non-negotiable securities. What if he was using, yes, charm and 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 just talks and trust? And if he was doing those sorts of things, then he would be a far more dynamic character, mm-hmm. and he would be a far greater villain. Uh, probably one that you would you would care to see later on in, in further episodes. Maybe mm-hmm. he could be a, a further foil in the Andromeda series. Now, I don't believe we get him at any point in the future. We only get to see him here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it would give him a whole more, a whole depth of character, right. and he would be far more dangerous mm-hmm. than he is. Yeah, but he's not, and it shows in this quote. Yeah, he's wrong. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, not but, saying but that I, it's right. Right. It, okay. And but I think it, that's the point that I that I kind of want to take away from yeah. this is that you could start seeing those qualities and playing them and using them. There's a danger in that. Mm-hmm. There is a real danger in that. And that you you would... Yeah, you, I just come back to the fact that it seems like you'd lose some of yourself. you lose your humanity mm-hmm. if you start playing the game that way. Mm-hmm. You become more dangerous than good. Yeah. No, definitely. All right, Ethan. So let's wrap it up. Okay. Um, we've, we've gone over the show. We've discussed the characters and the universe and, and the quote. We've All of it. Um, so let's get to it. Final thoughts. What what did you think about this episode? Um, you know, I actually hadn't made up my mind up to this point, mm-hmm. and I kind of still haven't really made up my mind <laughs> mm-hmm. on this episode. It's a good episode. There's a lot of character study in here. Uh, I didn't mention it in my fun facts, but this is a story that was written by Ethelian Vare, mm. and in other stories, we've gotten to explore kind of love interests, and this one to me seemed a little. There were still questions that I felt weren't answered at the end of it, like with the whole, how did Becca really feel? You know, she had tears in her eyes. What were her emotions? And in talking with, about it with you, I think I've kind of sorted some of that out, mm-hmm. hearing some of your perspective on it. And for that reason, I don't look at this as being, oh, another love interest story, you know, like we got with Gabriel and mm-hmm. Rami and, and, and others that we've seen. Uh, I think we had something that was, a, if not solid than very much approaching kind of a very real type of relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that was interesting to see for the very fact that it, it caused me to kind of question the characters at the end of the story mm-hmm. and, and still kind of wondering what were they thinking? What were they feeling? And, and so for that reason, I think it's a good episode in that it, it explores those concepts of what a person feels and has to deal with and loyalties and love and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a I think it's a good episode for that. Ultimately, though, what did we accomplish in establishing the Commonwealth <laughs> or building a defense for, for, for defending against the, the coming Magog invasion? I understand we're not going to get advancement on that front with every single episode. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could say you, we've created some stability, at least in this sector around Pierpont Drift. At the very least, I guess that's happened. Mm-hmm. So I guess you kind of have to accept that maybe we have at least shored up some some pegs so that the Commonwealth can exist and there can be some relative peace around it. But ultimately, I don't feel like we really accomplished a whole lot in this episode. Mm-hmm. And so, while I like the episode, if a person is wanting to go back and watch Andromeda, but they don't want to have to watch every one of them, I think this is one of them that I, I'm okay with saying, yeah, you could probably skip it. Mm-hmm. Except for the fact 
that there's a treasure map introduced into the story. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we're going to see that going forward. So I guess until I get that answer, <laughs> you have to watch it. Okay. Um, you know what? Honestly, this is... I'm I'm kind of along the same lines as you are. Uh, it's It's not an incredibly enthralling episode. It's not one that's just always going to stick out. It's, it's, it's the, it's the heist episode, you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I, Hey, I, I loved oceans 11, mm-hmm. you know? So this kind of stuff is fun and, and it's cute. I thought the episode was cute. Can I say that? Okay. Um, you felt more like it, we didn't really come away from this with anything. I'm not sure that I completely agree with that because what they did do was they made peace between the Pierpont Drift and the fan. Yeah. Um, whether it's really peace or not, basically they stopped the fighting. I, I was going to say, this is like a truce in the Middle East. Yeah. <laughs> and so the whole reason that Dylan got involved with this in the first place wasn't because he cared about the fan destroying the drift. It was because he felt if he could work this out, hey, there's a favor that the fan owe him. Mm-hmm. And he gets the Hamad... Hegemon. Why is that a hard word to say? Hegemon. So, but he gets the heart back to the fan. Yeah. They owe him one now. Yeah. And we he- know that they're a, they're a big... This is a powerful ally. Yeah. That, that Dylan now has... In his corner. Yeah. And then and then with the heart. I mean, you drop something like that on the audience. Oh, look, here's a treasure map. Here, this is what I have been looking for. It's hard to say that that is something that we're never going to see again. Okay. I mean, they... they I'm not going to tell you too much, but they definitely set up the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like, this is something that's important. Yeah. This is another one of Becca's secret plots mm-hmm. that she's working on on her own. Uh, some of the other crew seems to know about some of her plots. You know, like last season when she was looking for Tarn Vedra, Harper says, oh, is that where you think it is? The engine of, and then he gets cut off, mm-hmm. the engine of what? We'll find out maybe someday. Yeah. Maybe this treasure map has something to do with that. And I guess that's the thing is we're getting a lot of these setups and I don't know what to trust and what not, you know, what to say. Okay, well, this, this just gets tossed out because mm-hmm. I haven't got there yet. Right. What I'm given to believe at this point is that Becca has some sort of end game yeah. on her own. Mm-hmm. And I don't think these are all just random separate missions. She's putting pieces of a puzzle together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, this is just another piece of that puzzle. And to say that this is an episode that you can just skip, so much of it is so inconsequential. Yes. But just that one little bitty bit is kind of something that you need for the story arc. Okay. Okay. So. Well, if it, okay. So for that, mm-hmm. watch it. I just thought of something else too. Okay. That, uh, that makes it redeemable. Uh, for the first time, we are awarding the Captain Kirk Award to Becca Valentine. Wow. Dylan didn't yep. get it this trip. No. And Harper certainly didn't. No. No, never. So the, the, the James T. Kirk Award uh, for Alien Relations goes to Becca Valentine. Congratulations, Becca Valentine. <laughs> so so watch it for that reason, too. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so no, not my favorite episode but not a bad episode right i, I right. enjoyed it it was it, it was kind of a very middle of the road type deal mm-hmm. it's I, I i was entertained right but at, at the end of it I, i'm left wondering you know how much of this am i going to be carrying forward it was light it wasn't a real heavy tension episode yeah it, it, you didn't feel like the whole crew is uh they're all going to die at any second which i feel like this is a good point a good a good time to discuss it, but you know, really, we don't have the time in this episode to go into it. But it's something that I feel like we're going to be coming back to more and more and more as the show progresses. Uh, at this time, when season two is being made, and, and now episode twenty five that we're into, um, some of the producers were wanting to get away from serialized storyline. Mm-hmm. They wanted more standalone stuff, mm-hmm. and I really feel like that does this story and and what. 
Robert Hewitt Wolf started in season one, I really feel like it does it a, a disservice. And I'm becoming more inclined to think that way. Mm-hmm. Even though the producers are saying we want more standalone stories, we want something to appeal to a broader audience. Mm-hmm. What I think we've come to terms with now is you don't make sci-fi shows like this for a broad viewing audience. Mm-hmm. You find your niche and then then you make a story that that niche is going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, and over time, it may bring in more. And, and I think it's sad that the producers are kind of getting away from that philosophy of having more serialized stories and carrying more consequences, carrying more consequence mm-hmm. forward in their stories. But, like I said, we can discuss that more at another time. And we will. So, Ryan, that is episode 25, A Heart for Falsehood for if somebody wanted to get hold of us, Ethan, how would they maybe be able to get a hold of us? They can reach us at the email, uh, drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. And just want to mention, thank you to all of you that have sent us some emails. And we've mentioned a few of them on air, mm-hmm. and we certainly appreciate it. Yeah, we do. And we're also on the social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we're using the handle at AndromedaPod. At both of those locations. And we're also on Podbean. That's where you can find us. All of our episodes are right there at www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. And we are on iTunes as well. You can search us in the iTunes store, Drive Back the Night Podcast. And if you listen to us there, please subscribe and leave us a review if you feel like. And some stars. We'd certainly appreciate it. We are an Age of Geek production. They're www.ageofgeek.com. And that's it for this week. We hope that you will join us back here next time as we discuss Pitiless as the Sun. Mm-hmm.